All right, let's do it. All right, so this is Pat the Dentist. Oh my goodness, people in healthcare, what, 53,000 followers. You, your own Pat the Dentist account, at pat.dentist. 26,000 followers, holy smokes. Um, well, good morning. Thanks for having Thanks for being here. Of course, thanks for having me on. Like, uh, like I said, you guys are doing some pretty impressive stuff. Uh, you guys have built a page. I remember when uh, you guys first started, like it was nothing. And now you guys are have like one of the biggest, I think, what, like the biggest base in the U.S. or something like that? Oh, pretty. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, we got a couple. We got the students page, we got the dentist page, and we made the practice page just yeah. to kind of yeah. like divide up the niches. But, but what about you? Where, where did, can we know what came first? Was it Pat the dentist or was it people in healthcare? Uh, it was Pat the dentist. And uh, that actually started when I first moved. First of all, like I only had a Facebook, no Snapchat, nothing like that. And I moved to Detroit to start dental school. And my closest friends were like, oh, just get an Instagram, like just so we can see like uh, what you're up to, what you're doing. And I'm like, no, that's stupid. I don't really have time for it and all that. Maybe like a month or two after I started, I ended up starting the page. I don't remember if it wasn't called a uh, Pat the Dennis. It was called, and I don't even think I, I had it titled. Um, oh God, what was it? It was like uh, the dental student. That was like the original name. And, uh, but I don't even think I had it titled the dental student at that time. It was just like Patrick or whatever. And I remember like, <laughs> like scrolling through uh, the feed and all that. And this was God, man, like almost six years ago. And I'm looking at stuff there's like literally nobody on healthcare. Like I think Dr. Mike was there, Dr. Oppa, Dr. Yazdan. But I remember when like I started, Dr. Yazdan had like 7,000 followers, Sam Soleil, same thing, like not a lot of followers. And I'm thinking, okay, well, what can I do to best position myself for my future career? Obviously network, do the things I got to do in school, study. But at the same time, I got to start preparing myself for my future career with social media. So I kind of jumped on that. Uh, honestly, it was easy to do because nobody else was doing it. There was literally like no dental student that was doing it at that time. And so it was pretty easy to kind of navigate the forest. You just post literally anything. Everybody had Instagram, but you could literally post anything. And since there was no one else to like no one's feet or whatever to kind of, uh, uh, dilute the stuff that you're posting everybody saw it they were liking they were following and uh, then you start to see uh, more and more people start doing that and became more difficult to grow so that's how I did that and uh, yeah I mean it was it was with the intent of of being a dentist and separating myself from my competition or would-be competition at that point you've definitely done that a lot yeah pat i I gotta ask how did you come up with the idea for the sign the famous meme sign where where did that come from and you know what was your inspiration it's huge um you know you see this guy dude with the sign posts his stuff and um i remember talking to somebody who's like an expert on social media and they were saying it's all about simplicity it's all about like if you want to post something that gets a lot of likes it's got to be simple. Caption short or something in a photo that's short. Cats and boobs. That's it. Those are the three things. And this is like a social media expert. And they're telling me that is 
what gets likes. And I'm thinking about it. Okay, well, this dude's holding up a sign. Whatever message he wants to send, it's there in your face. And it's simple. Why not do it? And I said, let's do it out. Let's do it for COVID. Let's do it for something dental related and just see what happens. And um, honestly, those were some pretty successful successful posts successful is a very modest way to put those things were <laughs> yeah. the one hysterical got, it got over it got like 2500 likes on our on our page i mean that was killing it in that month for i think one other post overturned it or something but like you were about to win uh, yeah. student and dentist of the month with that post we do it based on likes but okay. yeah we were like we were like let's go let's go <laughs> yeah i mean it's been posted a lot and so like i posted on my personal one the people in healthcare. And I remember on like the people in healthcare one, like it had like close to half a million people actually see it, which I thought was kind of mind blowing because it's been a while since a post like did that good. And it's just simplicity. It's wild, right? I mean, I think yeah. it, it actually saw more than that. We, it was incredible. Yeah, no, they were, they were everywhere and it was, it was hysterical. It got right to the point. Like you said, simplicity, it was, it was pure genius. It was really your mess. <laughs> I appreciate that. I appreciate that. Now you mentioned uh, you were talking to a social media expert on posts that gets likes. Now, what about from, from your take? Because we consider you obviously a specialist in For sure. social media of the healthcare and specifically dentistry, the niche. Now, yeah. do, you, do you agree with that? I mean, cats, you can't really post in a dental office. Boobs. Yeah. Yes. And no very yes but like what about your standpoint like, what are three keys you would say when you're constructing and devising a, an instagram post um i think you got to be original whatever if you're gonna fake it i think people are going to realize that that's not you you're not being authentic uh at the same time you got to say forget about it you know you can't worry about what people think I think that's another big thing. People are very hesitant. Like I see these very cookie cutter posts that so many dentists are doing because they're afraid to like rock the boat or whatever. But at the end of the day, like why do people follow certain people, especially now? Um, it's because you bring some sort of value. You separate yourself from everyone. Back in the day, it was like when older dentists that, are, that were teaching us in school, what they said was, yeah, you literally just post a sign that says dentist on a building and people will come to you. That's not the case anymore. How do you differentiate yourself? And that's the same way with social media. It's so diluted with all the accounts out there. You got to do something unique. You either got to be uh, funny. You have to post ridiculous stuff that gets people thinking. You have to be super attractive or that workout guru, something like that, or just really good at your skill. And um, if you don't do that, if you don't provide some sort of value, that's, that's not going to happen. And then a third one. Um, so I said original, I said that. And uh, I think you got to be able to like work with people at the same time, because there's a lot of cross collaboration that's going on. And across whether you like certain platforms or not, I think the big key is doing podcasts, uh, doing shout outs for each other, just appearing on other people's pages. I think that that's a big, a big key. Um, yeah. I mean, I guess you guys asked like when I'm doing a post, um, honestly, whatever just comes to mind, finding something that's hot, like at that current period in time 
capitalizing on it and just uh, going with them. Whatever happens, happens. Hmm. But I think too many people are just like worried about uh, the likes, the how people are going to view them. And I think if you stop doing that, I think it'll flow. But it's definitely gotten more difficult. And um, I don't, I don't necessarily care for it as much in the sense of like how I did before. Like I want everybody to like me. I I, I want this page to grow to be a hundred thousand followers. That's that's not necessarily the thing anymore. It's what are who are you catering this page to? So students in dentistry, I imagine it's mostly to dental students, whether it be here, whether it be all over the world, and dentists at the same time. For me, it's gotten to a point where I want to cater this page to my future patients in the Las Vegas area. If they happen to see it anywhere else, that's fine. But things of that sort. I like that a lot. And you actually, you made a great point where you were talking about um, not kind of following the trend. I like that you combine because there's like dude with the sign and then you combine it in dentistry and like a message that was just like very, very impactful at that time. So you're, yeah. you're like crossing spears here and creating your own trend. I, I thought that was impressive personally. Well, thank you. And I'll probably post one of those at some point. You know? Yeah. So like you said, Pat, it's definitely harder to grow now than it was early on just because there's so much dilution out there. How do you balance running a private practice and also maintaining your social media page so well? So I, I actually am an associate dentist. So I don't run one, but Honestly, wait, wait, wait. What does that mean? Because a lot of our followers, not to cut you off, but a lot of our followers yeah. are dental students, pre-dental students, and other dental. Like what, what is an associate dentist just to build it up? So there's an owner doctor that owns that practice. An associate dentist is one that works in that office underneath that doctor. Uh, but actually me, I am in quarter two going to be opening up an office, partnering up with my current boss, and we're going to open up another boss, uh, another office, and I'll be uh, owner doctor for that. So I guess that'll be my, my practice. That'll be running. Congrats. Are you good? You're going to be owner of that. And does he kind of, is he just mentoring you to open it up or is he going to be like kind of, he'll be part owner, but I'll have a a more significant share because I'll be that doctor in there every day. And, uh, he just, that's what he does. He's one of those, just like everybody kind of wants to do is own a certain percentage of rental property and rent it out to everyone else, things of that sort. And he just does it with dentistry. And so I'm excited, lots of moving pieces. And uh, these next couple of weeks, the ground, uh, I'll really start hitting the ground running with the things I got to do for that. But in terms of balance, um, I think if you, if you're passionate about what you do, if you focus on the things uh, that you love to do, which is for us dentistry, if you really apply yourself to that, to that career, I think the content really kind of creates itself because if you're like me, I really love to place implants. Uh, and I realize like stories is, is honestly the most engaging thing at this point in time than more so than just posts. But if whatever it is that you're doing, if you fully invest yourself in that, the content will create itself and then you can create educational stuff. You can create stuff, hey, look what I did. Or you can create stuff because it, it just comes to you because you're seeing the world in a different perspective and you're doing things that um, are generating value for your practice and naturally content can come from that. And I mean, you see that with all these bigger, bigger accounts, whether they're cosmetic dentists or surgical, 
a lot of these people are just posting uh, things that, that they're doing in the office. And then at the same time, you got to be posting some stuff that you do on the side. Like people want to see that you're personable. And to be honest, uh, the more money you make, the more people that you, you meet, you tend to have a little bit more free time or able to afford things that uh, you, you want to do. And then you can post something like that. And um, I think it, it creates a certain level of like personal ability that uh, people want to see. Oh yeah. And you mentioned a little bit about uh, implant dentistry. Now, Coming from your standpoint, again, social media expert, how would you bring implants, implant placement, implant dentistry, um, and as a general dentist into your space on it, whether it be, it would probably be on Path to Dentist, right? How would you yeah, go? Yeah, probably be. All right. um, you know, it's really getting comfortable with what it is that you're doing, because at the end of the day, people are going to hate on you nonstop. And uh, there's always going to be somebody that says something like, oh, you can't do this or why? How come it's placed in this direction? It's like, you know, I don't really care what you have to say, because clearly you're probably not doing it. Or secondly, you're not <laughs> confident enough to be posting this. And I mean, if that's the thing, it's like people are only going to hate on you if they don't have anything going for you. Those who are doing better than you more times than not, they want to reach out and give you advice. They want to see you grow. They want to see you walk that same path. Um, so I think that's super crucial is, is being comfortable with the things that you're doing. Um, but I don't know. I mean, I remember there was like a classmate of mine who he's like, wow, like, did you really just like put, put that in the sinus? I'm like, yeah, I did. Because you can, <laughs> literature actually shows you can go up to four millimeters in the sinus before there's any type of statistical difference in terms of outcome, in terms of the ability for a patient to get sinus infections. And if you place it into two millimeters in the sinus, that's like straight up, like placing it in bone is what studies show. And I'm telling him this and he's like, Oh wow. I never like realized that. And I'm like, well, dude, cause you don't freaking place implants and you listen to everything that you were taught in school as opposed to research and what, I mean, you look at like uh, implant ninja. I know you guys know who that guy is. Okay. Yeah. And uh, like, He's got huge CE courses and he even talks about that type of stuff. Anyways, that's a, uh, that's aside from the point. That was something I felt like I had to say, um, <clears throat> but Important uh, point. very right. You, that's a great point. And I think um, now, since I'm an associate dentist, I'm kind of in like this weird space where I can post stuff. My boss has no problem with it. I have no problem posting that type of stuff. Um, but it's more so when I'm an owner doctor and everything is totally under my control, mm. I'm going to be starting to post and just doing things a little bit different. So I think I'm, I'm kind of just holding off on that because it's not my business at that point in time. And, and so that? there, yeah. And so there are things that I want, like, I want to help market and do that, but I want to hit the ground running like full blown marketing when I actually have my office, my clientele whatever it is that I post out there, like people are like, Oh, wow, this is Pat stuff. I'm going to come to him. I'm, he's doing free dental care, doing life transfer, transforming cases and things like that for veterans for free or whatever, things of that sort. Um, I just kind of, I've always said, I have to kind of hold off on, on really uh, pushing the gas pedal on that until I have like my own practice, like kind of like um, you see Dr. Trevor Thomas. You guys know who that guy is? No, not really. Definitely, uh, definitely follow him. 
uh, he did a, a huge kind of shift like that as well because he's been an owner dog for going on about a year at this point. But um, he, he really did the same, the same thing. He works for the same company that I do and amazing dentist, but kind of had to wait a little bit because naturally that's just how it is. You want to bring value to uh, your brand, your personal brand. And uh, like I said, I don't mind doing that for the office, but at the same time, um, you want to save some of the, those good posts and things like that for when, when you're going to be doing it. Absolutely. And Pat, I just, I want to curious, how did you know you were ready for private practice ownership? You're working as an associate. What made you say, all right, now's the time for me to, you know, put my own foot in the ground. Well, so I, I actually work for corporate and that's what I'm opening up through. So it's going to be with uh, Pacific Dental Services. But the thing is, is like, I've always said to myself, like within two years of working, I want to open up an office, whether it's corporate, whether it's private, that's the thing. And what am I going to be doing during those two years to best maximize uh, my time to learn the things that I need to learn? And at the end of the day, it's, it's learning the dentistry because you don't want to open up an office and have to learn the business side because anybody can say, oh, yeah, I know business. That's fine. You don't freaking know dental business. Let's be real. It's completely freaking different. And then you don't know dentistry at the same time as well. So why are you gonna be trying to juggle these two things when you're just average and a novice at everything? And so there's so many times when I first started that um, my boss, who I also consider my mentor, uh, taught me things, bailed me out of situations uh, that I just, I got myself into, which is fine because I knew I had a safety net. I had somebody who's totally capable to uh, do any type of dentistry to help me learn. And now when I'm in these situations again, I'm like, okay, that's awesome. But then I think about it, how the hell would I get out of a situation like that uh, if I'm the only doctor in that office or if I'm that senior doctor in the office? You're not, you're gonna freak out. You're gonna call a specialist or tell somebody to bite on gauze and go to an oral surgeon down the street if, if the tooth isn't coming out. Um, or you may not even take those, those, those chances to begin with. And so, uh, I think it was just really kind of setting that plan for yourself that these are the things I want to hit. These are the goals I have outlined for myself. And once I do these things, I'm ready to go. I'm ready to, uh, to own. But at the same time, you kind of understand yourself. Like you just, it just hits you that one day you're like, you know, I've kind of plateaued. I'm ready for that next level. I know how to manage people um, or I'm ready to take that next step in terms of managing people, um, front desk, employees, everyone in between, um, and just interacting with specialists and doing the dentistry. I think you, you hit a point where you're like, okay, I'm either going to be an associate for the rest of my life or it's time to own. And you just know, you, you've learned most of the dentistry that you're probably ever going to, to learn at that point in time, the bulk of the dentistry that you're going to do. And like that first year, year and a half, like there's really not much different stuff that I'm going to be doing. I know how to do uh, root canals. I, I don't like doing molars. I hate doing molar endo. I'm going to refer all that. I have no problem doing premolars, anteriors, crowns implants, things of that sort, but like what really is going to, uh, am I going to learn that's going to like completely 
be a groundbreaking things for a groundbreaking technique or, or thing that I do, that's going to completely alter my practice. Not really. It's learning uh, how to read CBCT. It's learning maybe a new implant system that'll come out or some new type of CAD cam system that'll come out. It's not like a specific, uh, like I'm never going to do tissue grafting, uh, things that like perio does or osteosurgery. I'm not going to do that. Like, so I've learned the bulk of what, say that again. So I learned it, right? Yeah, exactly. And that's also the problem I have with like these GPRs, AGDs. Why, uh, when so many people go to them, I'm like, I don't know. I mean, that's on you, but like, I, I have no problem with them, but I think you can find an office that's going to allow you to do the things that a general dentist is going to be doing. Like I had a buddy who went to a GPR and he's doing like this, like through and through tunneling, like osteosurgery stuff. I'm like, dude, like you're never going to do he's like it's so cool to like know how to do that i'm like that's cool but you're never going to do this ever in your entire life (laughs) and And it's not even gonna work if you do (laughs) exactly and it's just things like that it's like that's why you have a periodontist refer to the expert maybe you'll do it once but you're gonna realize i this was so difficult like i i'm not gonna do it again now pat you are opening up a big can of worms here that we're, that we love now as you so we're d4 students right now finishing up our last year um now as you know that with covid that had an, a huge impact on our clinical experience and maybe this is actually uh, a misconception maybe you would um encourage it but a lot of people are like say in our class um in other schools that are fourth year students they're like after covid I, they this is like I don't have enough experience clinically to go into practice at all, whether it is an associate as an owner and open up, I need a GPR and AEGD say, would you, yeah, I want to, <laughs> we want to hear what's no. your thoughts on that versus pre COVID now, even after COVID, maybe, maybe this is, maybe this is some insight that people could appreciate. I think it's all a mental game. It's all a mental game. It's your belief that you don't have the skill that you're just not confident enough because you think you need that extra, what was it, half a year, maybe seven months or something that was just like completely shut down. But you were still doing dentistry just at a, depending where you live, like not New York, not like California, but like students living all over the country in the Midwest, Florida, dude, they opened up in like May and they're doing dentistry and they maybe had two months off. But like, even for those in in those areas where you were completely locked down, for the longest time, you got to think about it. If you go to a four-year dental school, you never had the pandemic to deal with, you're really not learning that much more than someone who was in lockdown. You really are not doing that much more. Like my school, you want to know how many crowns I did before I graduated? At Detroit Mercy. I hope Detroit Mercy listens to this. Uh, (laughs) We did seven crowns. My graduating class did seven crowns. I don't know about you guys, but that to me, doing seven or 10 is not impressive at all. And there's some schools that do 30 and 40 crowns. And the amount of root canals that we did, I never did a molar, never did molar endo at my school. I did what, two dentures, a partial. The thing is, if you consider doing one more denture, that groundbreaking thing, or three more crowns or, or two more canals, that groundbreaking thing that's going to make you really confident, it's not. 
It really isn't. And you have to understand that you're going to learn the bulk of your dentistry when you, in that first month to two months, the first, honestly, it's the first three month period of work that you're going to be doing more dentistry than you've ever done in dental school. And, and I think the big, is that private practice or is that in a GPR program? That's um, in corporate and private practice. You're, I don't know so much about GPRs. They're all, they all kind of go up and down in terms of the things that they offer for you. But I think the big thing is realizing that you don't learn anything in dental school in terms of, of clinical ability to separate yourself from, uh, from your peers to be a dentist that hits the ground running. Everybody comes out slow, confused, not really sure of themselves. Uh, some people come out like the most confident human being on this planet and lots of times they get themselves in a situation that they don't want to. So I think it's being humble, but understanding that everybody that graduates school at this day and age, they don't really know anything. You know the basics of what to do, the basics of doing a denture, the basics of doing a crown, but it's not until you do it enough that you start to see how it's really done. And that only happens when you're practicing. So I think the big thing is really doing your due diligence and honestly not even fourth year i think it that's too late i think it's got to start in third year i think it's got to start in first year and second year in terms of planting the seeds uh in terms of networking but i think really that third year uh is when you should start applying for jobs start really looking and talking to individuals whether it's private whether it's corporate that i want to work for you i want uh to to basically be somebody who's working under you. And it's that due diligence comes down to finding that mentor. That's the big thing. Cause you can work in private practice. You can work in corporate. They're all the same in the sense of the owner doctor is the one calling the shots. And so if you find that owner doctor that loves to teach, that does the things that you want to do where your ideals and values line up with them, you're going to put yourself in the best situation where those first couple months you come out, they understand you're going to make mistakes, but they're there to teach you. And you're going to be doing crown preps in 10 to 20 minutes every single time, unless it's something ridiculous that happens. And you're going to learn how to do dentures the right way, maybe place implants, whatever it is. But um, I think it comes down to putting yourself in that position and I think that's the big issue that I've, I've seen from a lot of my classmates, a lot of people that have graduated uh, years before me, why they're switching jobs all the time. And then they just talk crap on, on corporate or this private <laughs> practice. And it's like, bro, it, that's your own fault. Like, I know so many people who have not left their job because they put in the time to find that job that best suits them and that affords them the opportunity to grow. You didn't. You waited until like the end of fourth year and now this is the only job you got and you've changed jobs two times in two years. Like I get it. You get married, you have a baby or whatever, things like that, but that's not the case. That's because you didn't do the due diligence. Absolutely. You know, the preparing ahead of time is a, is a huge part of success. And in that same vein, you mentioned that there's parts of dental school that we aren't prepared for when we get to private practice, we get to corporate dentistry. What are some things that, current students should be aware of that we'll, you know, that we need to know for the future. Um, and what are some things that you see today that you weren't prepared for in dental school? Um, I think the biggest thing is pick the brain of 
whoever is that denture expert at your school. If it's a prosthodontist, if it's a general dentist, whoever the heck it is, pick their brain, really try to understand occlusion and just how to do dentures. Because to be honest, that's the toughest thing. And for me is dentures. And I know for so many other people as well, because so much stuff can go wrong. Uh, but at the same time, if you work with a great lab, when, uh, when you're out in the workforce, um, really pick their brain as well. Like we have a lab tech that comes in and um, he's amazing. And I love to just see what he does. I love to, I call him up all the time. My, uh, my best friend actually works with me. Uh, and uh, same thing, he, he calls him up all the time whenever he has an, an issue. And the thing is, it's easy to troubleshoot a crown or root canal or just all these other things, but dentures, it's a whole different ball game. And so you really want to use these mentors. Figure out is, is key. And um, I don't know, this is not really something that you can learn. I think uh, the people who do it good in dental school, they've had unique careers uh, before, or they've done something unique in their life that made them really personable, really social uh, to become good with verbiage. I think that's hard to learn in school. But I think one of the things people need to learn and really be focused on more than anything is verbiage, how to explain things to patients. Because if you can't do that, you can't necessarily develop trust. And if you can't develop trust with patients, patients won't stay. Is there anything looking back? That's a huge point. Is there anything looking back you wish you focused on besides dentures? Maybe with talking to people, like you said, explaining treatment planning. To patients, is there anything you, along those lines you would say you would recommend to, to dental students while they're still in school? Honestly, not really, because all the other stuff is fairly easy to learn. I mean, most people are not placing implants. If that was a thing we were doing at our school, I would have dove into that like 100%. Um, not really. It's just dentures. I think that's the big thing. Everything else will come. I didn't mean to go. I'm sorry. But why? Why implants? Say that again. Why? Why, why would you have dove into implants if you could have at your school? Um, because I love it. I think that is the future of dentistry. That's where we're headed. Uh, dentures suck. I mean, you. I don't know if you guys know who Carl Misch is, uh, but he's like the dental, the dental implant godfather. He's one of them. He's dead, but. This guy wrote a book that is basically the gold standard and he has like the Mish Institute where people go to learn about implants. And so, uh, I mean, you read his book and I mean, he talks about like the efficiency of dentures is about 20% of your natural teeth. And I think the ability to like restore somebody's smile to restore somebody's uh, functionality is absolutely unbelievable. Um, and I like surgery and I think it's a very profitable but very quick thing that you can do. I mean, you think about it. Like I placed two implants yesterday. I took out a tooth, bone grafted, placed an immediate in that site, and then another um, implant inside of number 14, right behind uh, number 13, which I did. It was quick. Like I placed both of them. If I didn't have to take any angulation x-rays or anything like that, just to double check, the whole thing would have been done in 20 minutes at most. But even doing a crown, you prep it. Okay, that'll take 20 minutes to do. And then you got to mill it out with the CAD cam and that takes close to an hour. So 
implants are the quick are literally the quickest thing you can do and if you do them right it's a huge driver for uh profitability in your practice the overhead is not that high and i mean the cost of them is is fairly expensive and you're pulling in a lot of money off of it and you're being able to like do some pretty cool stuff and i i like it i think it's 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 unreal and it's gotten way cheaper than in the past Brendan and I are smiling because, as you say, each of those procedures takes you about 20 minutes at in the dental school. Each one, maybe six months <laughs> to get the implants and the graft. And the, so it's, it's just two completely separate time frames that we're working on. Yeah. Well, I mean, don't get me wrong. Like I, I told the patient uh, before I look at the tooth, I'm like, OK, well, there's a there's a very strong chance we'll be able to place this implant the same day. But if not, we're going to have to graft the site. That's going to extend everything by like three to four months. And that's what I'm saying. It all comes down to verbiage and being able to explain to patients these things because patients want things now. You got to understand the people that we see in different in dental school are very, very different socioeconomically than those uh, that come into private practice, corporate offices. But even so, those patients, if they didn't have to wait, they would get the bulk of their stuff done that same day as well. It's just dental schools make you jump through all these hoops. And I mean, it is necessary uh, to have that foundation. But I think the big thing for new grads uh, is, is realizing you need to completely change that approach that you have to dentistry when you start working. You can't have that school approach where we're going to phase everything in phase one, phase two, phase three. We're going to get rid of all active perio disease and all caries before we do um, an implant or a crown or something like that. That's not the case. A patient breaks a tooth, they have a hundred fillings that need to be done over here and periodontal disease. If they break a tooth and they're in pain, you're doing that first and you're doing the crown. You're doing what they wanna do first. To a certain extent, if they have huge massive facial swelling and they're like, well, I fractured tooth number 12, I wanna get this uh, crowned. No, you're gonna really explain to the patient this is what I'm going to do. This is what needs to be done. And you make that call at the end of the day, but that doesn't happen that often. It's, it's, you do what the patient wants and you advise them on everything else. And you say, okay, well, I want to bring you on back for a full exam. Or I want to bring you on back because I noticed so many different things going on in the mouth and we'll get that taken care of. And, and that's, I think that's how it's done, but I don't know. I mean, everybody just has this school mentality and uh, it's, Schools, all schools in general, they're just very, they create these uh, conformists. <laughs> you got to do their way. Yeah, they, have, they have four years to beat their, their way into your head. So it's pretty hard to break out of that. It's break. so funny you said the phasing and sequencing because we've been hounded in our heads for four years now that you, phase one, phase through seven, sequence, phase two, sequence three, carries control. And it, it's... Uh, I feel like it's, it's not even about getting the cavities out of the mouth now. It's about writing this down on a piece of paper. <laughs> yeah, it literally is. It literally is. I don't know, man. Schools are, uh, I've, they're going through this interesting shift. Some of them are. A lot of them are like these legacy schools where they don't want to change things. But then a lot of schools like uh, Midwestern, uh, ASDO in Arizona. Uh, I know a lot of other schools in the Midwest too, they're really making it like, uh, clinic focus that let's get the students to do as much dentistry as possible but a lot of other schools they're just still so much red tape where you just can't do anything 
or it takes forever to do anything. And um, the cost of dental school is just absolutely mind blowing. Like I just, what it like NYU is 700 grand now. That is that that true? It's it's a, I think a hundred thousand a year. And then you have to include the cost of living in New York city, which is, Definitely not cheap. Close to 25. Yeah. So you're adding that times four. So it could get up there. Yeah. I don't know. If seven, above 500. Yeah. Definitely above 500 at the end of it. Yeah. I saw something. I think that may be with like interest that accumulates over, sure, over yeah. those four years. Absolutely. To me, it's like, what the hell, dude? Like, we're going to hit this point where, and I think we're there now. Like, I think you guys, because you're still in school, you're about to graduate, you miss that wave of uh of people who are about to get screwed really hard where i can't see a dental degree being worth seven hundred thousand dollars or six hundred grand i can't see it and uh, i think a lot of people um if if you're not trying to be a business owner in dentistry you're going to be in debt for the rest of your life and there's really nothing you can do about it unless you marry rich or your family happens to be wealthy. You're not going to be making that much money as an associate. Make 150 grand max at most. Maybe the super associate, which is maybe one out of like every 50 associates will make 200 uh, grand a year. But that doesn't happen. And um, I think a lot of people are going to be in for a very rude awakening because you got to think about it. Okay, you got... You don't want to open up an office. Let's say that. Okay. You have 600 grand in debt. Now it's time to buy a house. Now you have a mortgage, probably getting a new car. Now you got to pay off the car and then you want to have a certain lifestyle as well. And so you're either paying in cash so you can't afford to pay off that other stuff or you are maxing out your credit cards. And I'm willing to bet you're not growing uh, an investment account at all because you have to afford all these other things. And so I don't know. It'll be interesting to see. I think it, I think if you want to be profitable in dentistry now, you have to be in a business owner. And I think all of medicine as a whole, I think, uh, I think uh, people, people don't realize is not what it used to be. It's not lucrative. Like it used to be, unless you're a business owner. It's hard to be an owner, right? Yeah. We, we couldn't agree more that there's uh you know, it's definitely harder now to make money than it was in the past. And that's where, you know, social media comes in. You've been a business owner with Path the Dentist, with people in healthcare, like, you know, from the start. So what would you recommend to current dentists that maybe aren't as influential on social media, those that are just trying to break into that space? What are some tips you would give them? I know we touched on this a little bit earlier, uh, but how can they separate themselves from a marketing strategy standpoint? Um, get really good at something. Um, whether your patients really trust you, love you, that's something that differentiates yourself. Be really good at endo or implants or whatever it is. Somebody that is a master of, of their craft at something. Uh, but then sitting down and, and thinking to yourself, okay, uh, do I really need social media? Because somebody our age, yeah, we do. But somebody who's 50, 60 years old, who's been doing dentistry for as long as they have and who has a huge clientele base, they don't need it. They absolutely don't. Uh, because it's word of mouth, it's all referrals, they're a staple in their community, things of that sort. But you have to, at the end of the day, is in which they're probably very successful, is why they're very successful is because they sat down, they game planned, and they said, how can I separate myself 
for my competitors? What is the thing that I do? Um, I go out to uh, local events that happen in my city. We do Halloween things where we buy back candy and get to meet the, uh, the, the people that live in our community. Things of that sort uh, is differentiating yourself. Uh, promotions from time to time. It's not just social media. It's everything. Social media is just one part of it. And it happens to be a very huge part of it. But you can survive without it if you're doing everything else amazingly well. Um, but you can't survive with only social media if you're doing all that other stuff very poorly, unless you are like the big dog. Everybody knows who you are, like uh, Dr. Nick or, or somebody like that, right? That guy's chill as can be, first of all. I love that dude. He was super cool dude. Um, but yeah, I think it's just sitting down and understanding, trying to figure out how you create that value. Absolutely. Absolutely. Definitely. And and like you said, uh, you have to be an owner now to pay off. The, I wanted to touch on, you said you have to be an owner now to really kind of hone in and pay off that debt. And it's becoming harder and harder to become an owner for a number of reasons for just business understanding in general. Um, I think that's, that's a, a really big point now to, and to touch on that, what's maybe one word of advice, one mode of advice you would give to say dental students, how to, how would you recommend paying back their loans? Hmm. Uh, be a business owner. I, that's, that's number one. Um, the other two things that I said, like pray to God that you marry rich, that you have a rich family, uh, because if you want to pay it off, that's not going to be, uh, you're not going to be able to do it in a very reasonable time span, uh, with dentistry. I mean, it, it's because you got to incorporate all that other stuff you're going to be doing in life as well. Um, Investing, I think, is huge. Um, really got to got to figure out what that other stream of income is going to be for you. And I think if you can set up that other stream of income, I think it's going to be a lot easier because whatever it is you're going to do, I guarantee you the overhead is not going to be uh, that initial investment is not going to be anywhere as high as dentistry was for you. And um, if you're pulling in a thousand, two thousand, three thousand dollars a month, that's huge that adds up over the course of 10 years, that's 300 grand right there, a little over 300, close to 400 grand that you brought in right there. And so that's stuff that you can apply to your investment portfolio into, you can grow that money in other ways. So I think it's, it's really figuring out how to grow your wealth because we're in a very lucrative profession, right? But it all comes down to your management of your money that comes in. And if you can do that very well when you first start, um, it's going to be a lot easier for you down the line because it's the power of compounded interest. I mean, we all know that and live like a dental student, splurge a little, but live like a dental student for that first year, that first two years, set aside a significant amount into an investment portfolio. And you'll see that will grow, that will grow. And then it just gets to a point where it becomes a machine on its own and it's me and your money is making money for itself. And then you'll see, look, like I'm a huge proponent for investing. I think that is the most important thing anybody can be doing, whether they're a dentist or they're not a dentist, it's investing because that's how you break out of that nine to five cycle. That's how you ultimately get to that ultimate goal of freedom 20 years down the road. When you're tired of doing dentistry, your back hurts, you have all these problems and you're like, 
look, I'm pulling in hundred grand a year, 200 grand a year, just on dividends alone, because you made those smart decisions where, okay, I can probably dial back my days right now. I don't have to work as hard or I can completely cash out and never have to work a day again. And, um, with real estate and all that other stuff. So I think it's just, it's really sitting down and reading ways to grow your wealth. How early would you recommend on that point? How early would you recommend a dental student, for example, start to educate themselves on investing, whether it be real estate, stocks, et cetera. Now, like like now, whatever it is, I don't care if you're a first year, I don't care if you're a pre-dental student, I don't care if uh, you're about to graduate. It should have been done in senior year in high school. That's the fault of the American education system by design because they don't want you to do that because then you're not essentially a slave that they can control. That's a different topic for a different day. But I think now is the time because especially when you graduate, you want to have a certain level of understanding. And the more understanding you have, the easier it is for you to pick a certain direction, go a certain route. Um, And once you actually get your feet wet, when you do have some money, when you do have some skin in the game, it's going to be easier for you to, to know um, what to learn after you start doing things. If that kind of makes sense. It's like, people always ask me, they're like, what should, uh, what should I read? What should I uh, invest in? What should I, uh, what what YouTube videos should I watch? Um, And I'm like, honestly, read Robert Kiyosaki, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. dad. Yep. Yep. It's, it's unbelievable. And I tell everybody, read that book. It will blow your mind. It will open your mind and you're naturally just going to know what direction to head into next. Because what I think is amazing about this dude is he talks about all the things that you need to hear, but he also recommends a lot of different books, a lot of different people to listen to. And um, his YouTube series is unreal. I mean, it's fairly new in the past, like two to three years, I want to say, but that's unreal to listen to. And, And same thing. He points you in other directions not just uh, he obviously wants to make money off of it, but he wants everybody to be in a position where they can profit and make money and, and grow their wealth too. So I think uh, things like that, where people really push you in, in different directions towards other people, not just themselves as well is, is amazing. And that's, that's a great point too. But like you were saying, you want to educate yourself on investing. Now it's funny because we go to dental school and we are just every day in and out learning clinical and academic dentistry. But from as early as possible, you're right. You know, you need to educate yourself on investing because while dentistry may be the, the stream of income, in order to find that financial freedom to retire in general and not have any loans to pay off your mortgage, you're right. You need to educate yourself on investing. Now, that kind of leads into another question on the same topic is as far as once you get out, right, say you do have the education on investing, would you recommend paying off the loans first and or just going right in on investing and use that, like you said, dividends can pay back later and then use that to pay off loans. Or would you recommend kind of like a balance of both, put a little bit aside for now into a portfolio, whether it be real estate stocks or just go all in on like do both balance, go all in on one or the other. Um, so I think it comes down to you and your level of confidence and your ability to grow your wealth understanding that you could potentially lose it all. If you're okay with that, if you're confident in your abilities, 
I said, don't pay off any loans. I have not paid a dollar in loans and I don't plan on doing it at all. Why? For as long as I possibly can. We're in the situation right now when the pan, so first of all, for those first six months, interest was accumulating, right? But um, we didn't have to pay back loans. And at least for myself and my track record and the things that I'm investing in, I can make more money with my investments than that um, interest that's accumulating. So I'm accumulating more money at that point, right? Now we're in this point where the pandemic hit and the Trump administration basically said, you don't have to pay back anything. There's no interest accumulating. So it's essentially free money. Why the hell are you going to be putting money towards something where you can put it into literally anything else and it's going to grow? Even if it grows at one or 2%, it's still growing more than you, than that non-existent interest, right? And then Biden comes into office and he extends it until what? I think September. So like, it's just, it's, it's free money at that point, right? Everything is just halted. And there, like I said, there's so many other ways to grow your money. If you want to start paying it back at, at that point in time when, when you have to, yeah, absolutely. I recommend paying the minimum, um, just barely anything. Because for me, if you want to open up a practice, they don't care how much, how much you paid off in loans. It's how much cash can you liquidate? What can you liquidate right now? How much cash do you have to pay for that initial investment? So that obviously takes money. If you're spending four grand a month on uh, paying off your loans, three grand a month, how, how the hell are you going to even like set aside $20,000 to open up a practice at that point? You're not like, I know the number I know what you're pulling in a month uh, based off your salary. You're never going to save $20,000. And so you're just never going to be able to open up a practice or maybe you're just going to take out a massive loan with a huge ass interest rate at that point, because you don't have any type of down payment. And then that screws you on the back end of things, even though you think you're like doing a good job paying off your loans. Right. So, okay. That's one thing to consider. And then it's like, okay, well, if you're a practice owner, right. If you set that money aside to become a practice owner, what's the difference between a practice owner salary and an associate salary? Let's just say a realistic associate salary is going to be, $120,000 before taxes. Let's pick a random state, a great state of California where you give away half of your income. You're walking out of there after it's all said and done with maybe $70,000 after taxes. That's not a lot at all. That's 70 grand. Now it's the cost of living that you have to consider. And now you want to pay your loans, right? So that's on 120 to 150,000 salary for an associate, right? An owner doctor at the very least is going to at least double that. They're going to be pulling in three to 400 grand a year. Very easily they can do that. And so that setting aside that money where you're throwing it all at all your loans, if you're putting that into skills that can help you make more money uh, in dentistry, place, learning how to place implants, being really good at molar end or whatever, learning Invisalign, you're making more money. That investment is worth far greater than paying off your loans. That investment to buying into a practice is worth far greater than paying off your loans as well, because now you're pulling in $300,000 a year, where if you're still living that same lifestyle, let's just say you don't really increase your expenses at all. After taxes, you're pulling in 
I mean, at least for me in, in Nevada, it would be two, if I'm making 300 grand, it'd be about 200 grand that I'm pulling in after taxes. That's huge. That's to spend on everything else that you want to spend from housing to a car to whatever. And it makes it a lot easier to pay off loans at that point. That's why I tell people, you've got to have your game plan. You have like, eventually you'll have to pay off the loan. But if you can roll that money into a different business venture, into uh, the stock market, if you're confident in your ability to have it grow, I say do it at that point in time, because interest is not going to be, you're not going to, you're going to be making more money than you're, you're shelling out. And then 20 years down the road, 15 years down the road, just take that tax bomb, 200 grand, whatever it is, like, and just pay it off at that point. You can save 200 grand in, in 20 years if uh, you do all these other things right. It's not going to be that difficult. This is amazing. This, yeah, these, these numbers are a, a harsh reality, but they are the reality that we're in now. This is, you know, really important information that, as you mentioned, we're not really aware of in school and stuff that we're not necessarily taught. So, yeah, this is a gem. Yeah, this, this is, is a, a gem. It's a huge, that's a huge piece of information right there. Um, just a quick question, just a little bit to switch gears. You've mentioned that you work in uh, corporate dentistry. Uh, it sounds like you're very happy with it. Just what are you some, you know, pros and cons of working in corporate dentistry? Um, what are things you like and dislike about it? Mm, I think the, the biggest pros are the support system that's there in terms of you not having to necessarily manage payroll, not necessarily having to manage the legality of dentistry, um, not having to deal with insurance, uh, that's all done with you. And that, that's all done for you. Um, the, the management side of things that you think about a dental office would have. And the, also at the same time, they afford you the ability to get invested in that side of things as much as you want. So if you really want to just be involved in every little detail of running a corporate, at least the, the, the uh, company that I work for, if you want to be involved in managing and working on every little detail from marketing to uh, the nuances of insurance, they let you do that. But they have experts there that can deal with all that stuff. So you're really only kind of dealing with um, the dental side of things, the management side of things, of, of growing and helping your associates learn and grow, your dental assistants learn and grow, the hygienists, things of that sort. So I think that's an amazing thing. Um, because it takes off a lot of stress. Um, the downside, um, I don't know, you know, I haven't worked in private practice. And so I think it kind of just depends on the unique situation that you're in. Like you can be in a private practice setting where you think it's awesome that you're seeing six patients a day, but you're really not making any money. Or you can be in an office setting where you're seeing 20 patients a day and that's very tiring and very stressful. So I think in, at least for my company, you have a lot more control than, than uh, I guess the dental world wants to have you believe you do. And I think that's the beauty of it. I think uh, private practice, the solo doc is going away. Uh, I think it's gonna be these massive group practices with three, four dentists working if you wanna go the private practice route uh, and it's gonna be corporate. I, I don't think you can really do it unless you're super niche at something like you're that cosmetic dentist who does whatever they do or an implantologist or something like that. I, I think it's, it's going down that route. Interesting. And wow. Hmm. 
Yeah, a lot of support. Like a lot of people even say, um, like you don't you don't have the autonomy. Well, that's not the case. Like if I want something in my office, if I want to use like so, my company is contracted with uh, Nobel Dental Implants, right? And um, we use like a certain implant system and all that. Everything is standardized, right? But if you because you are the expert on this branch of medicine, if you say, no, I'm not using this, I want to go ahead and use this brand, they're not going to push against you. They may push against you a little bit, but at the end of the day, you just have to say, I'm the dentist. This is what I went to school for. And they're okay with that. Like there are things that you can, if, as long as you can provide the value to whatever it is they, that you do, they're not going to care. It's proved that what you're doing will help generate income then it's fine. Very, very different from what we hear in school. You know, they hear the, the factory mill lines, production quotas, et cetera, et cetera, that you have to, to meet to be. See, that's, that's the thing that I freaking hate is like these production quotas that people try to scare you about. There's no production quota. There's an, so what we have for our company is something called ADP, which is average daily production. And you have a goal that is set that you have to hit every single month. You don't necessarily have to hit it, but you're probably not gonna be working that long if you consistently don't hit that goal. And the thing is, you gotta realize that every private practice has the same thing. Why the hell are you gonna have a dentist working for you that is generating a loss all the time? So people are like, they're really like scared and told that, corporate has these like goals of production that you have to hit. Yeah. Your private practice owner has that exact same freaking goal for you. And if you can't hit that, you're fired. They're not going to have somebody that's losing money for them. They're going to hire somebody who maybe works a little quicker, maybe a little bit more confident. It's just better and is able to hit those goals. That's the biggest misconception about corporate dentistry that pisses me off is because any business in this entire freaking world knows what an employee should be hitting. A good business does. They know what an employee should be hitting, how much value they bring and what they should be producing. And if they can't do that consistently, they're fired. Or maybe they shouldn't have brought on that new associate. That's what it is. <laughs> I, I, don't know how, I don't know how else to say it. And I think um, that's the biggest lie is they're not telling you you need to do if you work for the government if you work for like medicaid or something like that they're going to tell you about these these production quotas are real you need to do x amount of extractions you need to do x amount of dentures or something like that that's the government as a whole they will tell you to do that and they're not shy about it because they're the government they can do whatever the hell they want um but corporate no, private practice, same thing. You may walk into an office and some dentist is like, I need you to do um, this many dentures. I need to pull out this many teeth. I don't think that's right. I think that's a weird situation that you should get yourself out of. But if they tell you, I need you to be producing this much uh, a day on average over the course of a month, I don't care how you get there. That gives you autonomy. That's the autonomy that you need. And at least they're being transparent so you know the number you need to hit. If you if you don't know that number, you're just gonna be fired one day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, all oh, that that's huge. Yeah, very very big, uh, very big information. And just you know, switch gears one more time to go a little bit lighter. 
uh, to, to finish off today. I got, I got one too. Oh, go, go ahead. You go first. Uh, well, one thing that Sean and I could definitely uh, probably agree on is that, Pat, one, we appreciate this conversation so much. We can't thank you enough for having you on. But two, the, every, the content you're giving, the education and the insight, I'm really impressed because we're going to be able to put this on all our accounts. This, this applies to top dental practices and practice ownership and that whole end to even dental students and everything in between, which is huge. One thing I wanted to touch on uh, before, because you know a lot, a lot more about this than we do, is what about how do we stay away from any HIPAA discomfort but when we post any, any like clinical pictures, radiographs, you know, x-rays? Um, how do we stay away from any HIPAA violations, but still be able to post clinical education on social media? Um, I think schools are very, um, they try to restrict everything that you do. Everything. So they try to make a bigger deal out of HIPAA than it really is. But I know my school had um, like a document patients could sign. And I think that's the big thing is just not putting anything that's like a distinguishing feature of the patient, but also just asking the patients and then asking them to like sign on something uh, about HIPAA. And then at that point, I don't really think it becomes a problem. I mean, I'm sure there's more like legal nuances that go into that type of stuff. But I think as long as like a patient signs off on this stuff and it's like a legit document, I think it's okay because that's their info. And they can sell it to whoever the hell they want. I mean, look, yeah, Facebook were ripping everyone's information anyways. They know all your healthcare information and you probably didn't disclose it or you signed on something uh, that said we can actually give it to Facebook. So I don't know. I think, um, I think it's just being transparent with a patient and uh, just having them sign whatever it is that needs to be signed at your school um, and the real world. And I think that that's okay at that point. And any distinguishing features you think could come up on, on x-rays? I mean, like a PA, is that even, can that be posted? Like, can we do that? I don't know. I, I don't do. I do. I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I really don't know. I think it's a, a, game, a wild, wild west game and it still is. And especially with like so many people in medicine, not just dentistry doing the same thing, posting their cases. I think it's just getting up consent form but i don't think something like that you can really tell um who it is or whatever i think that's that's the big thing yeah yeah, yeah. dentists can but you know general public definitely can't it's just but how would you see that in terms of the hippos eyes uh, yeah, it, yeah it's towing the fine line of making sure the patient's comfortable with it and also posting it yeah content. That's, uh, i think that's the big thing that's the big thing is patient comfort uh, if you, if you like to share, if not, just curious how you spent your first paycheck when you, when you grad, when you started working. First paycheck, uh, Living first, in Vegas, real dentist paycheck. first real dentist paycheck. Honestly, I bought crypto and, uh, <laughs> I had a nice, yeah, I had a nice dinner. <laughs> <laughs> like something that would like break the bank account as a dental student, uh, yeah, I think that was it. I went to this place in Vegas. If you guys are ever in Vegas, uh, best steakhouse, honestly, in the world. It's like it's considered like a top 10 steakhouse. Uh, it's called Herbs and Rye. Herbs unreal. And that place is absolutely unreal. Uh, I went there, but crypto, man, I'm telling you, every single paycheck I get, I'm just dumping like a very significant amount of it into crypto. 
So that's how you invest. Now, now we got the insight on how to invest. <laughs> Honestly, yeah. That's what people should be doing. I think we are going down this very interesting route um, where the average human being will no longer be able to own one full coin because it's just getting so damn expensive. And every four years, the same thing happens. We have this exponential increase in price because of something called a halving. I don't know if you guys know what that is, but it becomes more difficult to basically create or mine a Bitcoin, right? Every four years. And uh, that increases the value about nine to 18 months after that happens. And so it's very predictable. Like we knew this was going to be end of 2020, 2021 was going to be the year that this was going to happen. What we're seeing happen now, we knew it was going to happen this year. And um, to be honest, uh, this is like bigger than Amazon before Amazon blew up, bigger than Apple before Apple blew up. So I think this is something everybody should heavily consider getting into because the world is going down a very different route and uh, businesses are buying it up. Like I'm pretty sure Tesla is going to create a reserve. I can talk about this all day. But, uh, <laughs> I think, I think this is something everybody should heavily consider and look into and educate themselves before. Cause I'm not giving investment advice. I'm just saying what I do and make a sound decision for yourself. Awesome. Absolutely. Awesome. Pat, we can't thank you enough again for, for coming here with us today. We learned so much from social media to uh, investment strategies to private practice and corporate dentistry. You know, we covered such a wide spectrum as Brendan said, it covers all, awesome. three, all three phases, dentists, students, practices, pre-dental students. Um, this is huge. So again, thank you so much for joining Super us. Super excited. Thank you so much. I love doing this and I appreciate you guys having me on. And we'll do it again sometime. Absolutely. We'll, we'll see what we can create of this and we'll move. All right. Well, you guys enjoy uh, your snow day and uh, I hope you guys get one more day off too. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, man. Thank you. Uh, and yeah, and oh, and send us send us some more posts, man. We want to feature you. Let's get you up across the board. Works good for me. I like that. Awesome. All right, guys. Awesome. You take care. You too. All right, Pat.